0: Right. Well, before I turn your attention to the Word of God, I want to turn your attention to this bouquet of white flowers over here. Last weekend, we had uh, nearly 50 students, middle school and high school, go to a youth conference in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And uh, not sure what good happens in Green Bay. (laughs) But let me tell you about something great that happened in Green Bay six students made a decision to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And because of that, we're going to celebrate today. All right. Well, we're going to be in Acts 19 in preparation. If you want to open your Bibles to that, that'd be great. We'll get to the text in a moment. But before we do, uh, please pray with me. God, thanks so much for your word and for your spirit. I pray that this morning we will be encouraged as we confront sin in our life, but find hope in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We pray in your holy name, God. Amen. All right, so we celebrate decisions for Jesus around here. That's just one of the things that we do. But when a person is genuinely converted to faith in Christ, he or she gets new affection. If you're a follower of Jesus, when, when you met Jesus, you might understand exactly what I'm talking about. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, but you're interested in Jesus, I have no doubt you, you don't know what I'm talking about. But one of the things that Jesus does when he brings life to us is he changes our affections, old loves, old desires, old interests, they're replaced with new ones. Those who have become a new creation in Christ, we experience a new love for Jesus, a new love for the church, and a new love for the mission of God. If you're doing the Bible memorization uh, each week that we're going through this year, the second one that we did was 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's in the NIV translation, and I point that out because depending on how you may have memorized it in the past, but this translation says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. If you are a Christian, then you are no longer who you used to be. You are somebody new. You are somebody different. Today, as we continue in the book of Acts, we find our missionary journey taking us to the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is a city where people turned from the idols in their life to the one true and living God, and it radically changed their life. That's why I titled the sermon today, Turning from the Idols in Our Life. Now, as a precursor to the message with gentleness and grace, today we're gonna get uncomfortable together. And we're gonna confront some sin in our life. That's sometimes what the Bible does. And when it does, we have to heed that. But also with an abundance of grace, I wanna give you hope. In the midst of confronting sin, that you can find freedom and forgiveness, and you can truly understand God's love for you, even in light of the sin of your life and mine. The converts in Ephesus, those who turn from idolatry to Christ, they're gonna illustrate for us the dynamic effect that the affection of our heart can have when we move from the world to Christ. How God changes the affections of our heart when we become a new creation in him. The Ephesians, they, the people of Ephesus, they loved many things just like we do. They loved sports. They loved theater. They loved their idols. They loved wealth. But when Paul preached the gospel and the Holy Spirit showed up, and opened the eyes of the people of Ephesus. The city experienced a radical change. The people of the city were changed, but the city itself was changed. And that's another thing we're going to take a look at. How not only does God change the affections of a person's heart, but sometimes can change the affection of a whole community. I remember when I was younger and in pursuit of my wife, Gwen. Let's talk about affections of the heart. If you are married, you might know what I'm talking about. Uh, If you've been married a long time, I hope you still know what I'm talking about. If you have young men or women in your life who are of the age to pursue a relationship with the opposite sex you may see this in them. But when Gwen captivated my attention, she honestly captivated my heart. The affection in my heart for her caused me to change and caused me to change habits in my life. So for instance, we were in college I found myself changing my route to class because I knew where she had class. And if I changed my route to class, there was a real possibility that our paths would intersect and I would get to see her. There were classroom times where we shared the same class and and guess where my affections led me to sit? Right beside her. Anytime I got to have conversation with her, I did. I can remember I would sometimes have another route to a different class, and she had an apartment where I could see into her window. It was on the third floor, and and oftentimes I would wonder if she would ever want to sit and see if I was passing by. That's not something dudes like admit, right? But it was true. I can remember going home and calling her and wondering if she's gonna answer the phone. And if she does, if we're gonna have a short conversation or if we're gonna talk for hours. I can remember when I pick up the phone and I would dial her number, my stomach would flip and I would get nervous and giddy and weird. And I'd be like, whoa, I wonder who else ever feels like this. But all of that was because the affection of my heart was growing fond of her and towards her. The way I tell this story is I pursued her for a whole year before she ever said yes to me. She denies that. That's fine. See, I was motivated by my affections for Gwen, and my life began to change. My habits began to change. This is what happens when we meet Jesus, but only in a much greater sense. In a much greater sense. When our affections for Jesus change, everything in our life changes. Maybe not instantaneously, but over time. As we enter into Acts 19 we're going to witness the effect that the gospel has on people's lives and entire communities. This happens to be Paul's third missionary journey. He landed in the city of Ephesus, which is in Asia. Paul ministered here for nearly three years. And one commentator says concerning his time in Ephesus that Paul did the most marvelous work of all his marvelous life here in Ephesus that's pretty cool, isn't it? So pick up with me in Acts chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse 23. I'm only going to read to 31, and we're going to just spend a little bit of time on one of the scenes of Acts 19. But in verse 23, we begin reading when it says, about that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. I'm going to pause here for a moment and explain. Throughout Paul's time in Ephesus, he was preaching and teaching the Word of God. We're nearly two years or plus into his ministry. He feels called by God to to leave Ephesus, to go back to Jerusalem, and then eventually to Rome. So that was his goal. But one of the impacts that his teaching and preaching of the word of God had in the life of the people in Ephesus is found in verse 20. It says, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had powerful effect. As Paul was getting ready to leave Ephesus and go to Jerusalem and then eventually to Rome, we pick up in verse 23, which says about that time. Serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. The way is the person Jesus Christ. And the serious concern about Jesus wasn't just Jesus himself, but it was the people who were following Jesus. So the big concern in Ephesus right now are those who were people of the way, people of Jesus. This was the big concern. Verse 24, It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with the other employees uh, that had employed similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect, for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of our great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, would be robbed of her great prestige. At this, the anger boiled amongst the people and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along a couple of Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. For Paul wanted to go in too, but the le- believers, they wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. There was a lot of people in that amphitheater. About 24, 25,000 people in there. But throughout Paul's ministry of preaching and teaching the Word of God, what happened was the people of Ephesus come to recognize that the God, this goddess Artemis that they were worshiping, was not really a God at all. But Paul introduced them to the one true and living God, the God who could actually make a difference in their life, in fact, change their life. As a result, they were turning from idols to the one true and living God. As they did, their affections shifted from pleasing themselves and the gods that they worshipped to living for Christ and pleasing now their Lord Luke records several significant events in Acts 19 that took place in Ephesus, but as I mentioned, I just want to focus on this one, because it's in this one that we see the effect that the great awakening of these souls had as they were gripped by the gospel and truly changed. Ephesus was a city with many different points of interest. Most notably, Ephesus was known as the keeper of the renowned temple of Artemis. This was the pagan god of fertility, also known as Diana. The people believed that she was sent to earth from heaven. And as a result, they resurrected this huge temple around her, huge. And it was all made out of marble. In fact, the temple of Artemis is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Ephesus was also known for its great wealth. While we learned that Athens, remember a few weeks ago when Paul was in Athens, we learned that Athens was the intellectual center of the West. From Athens, he went to Corinth, and in Corinth, we learned that Corinth was actually the cultural center of the West. But moving now into the city of Ephesus, what we will learn is that Ephesus was actually the commercial center. In fact, so many people came to Ephesus to worship this goddess Artemis and to pay tribute to her through their offerings that the temple also functioned as the central bank of Asia. That's how much money this temple took in. And so they were the loaning center, the bank for Central Asia. As the gospel began to change people's lives, one of the issues that Demetrius brings up in his complaint against Paul and the gospel was that it was threatening the economic status of Ephesus and that the threat. And that this threat that he brings up is exactly why we see that there's riots in the community. Although Demetrius used the threat of the gospel to instill fear in people that their economic status would be threatened and that their great goddess Artemis and her prestige would be threatened the real issue that Demetrius was bringing up to the community was actually selfish in nature and motivated not by concern for the people around him, but was motivated by his wallet, his pocketbook. He didn't want to lose his business or his way of life. And so he instilled fear into people and he got everybody worked up, and there became this riot. He says he, he, he wanted to protect the goddess Artemis, but what he really wanted to protect was the idol that had captivated the affection of his heart, that of greed and money. So I want to take a few moments today to highlight the idols in our life that maybe grip our heart's affection and get in the way of our relationship with God. One of the things the Bible does clearly is it exposes certain things in our life, and one of the things that it exposes is sin. And so with an abundance of grace this morning, I want to get uncomfortable with you for a little bit as we talk about sin and the idols in our life. See, an idol is anything that we turn to for a need or to meet a need that we have that only Jesus can meet. An idol is anything that captivates the affections of our heart. So we're going to do a little self-analysis this morning as we look in our heart. We're going to identify the idols in our lives, and that's really point number one. How do we identify the idols in our lives? I think we identify the idols in our lives by understanding what really has the affection of our heart. I'm going to begin in Exodus chapter 20, verses three through five, because it's here that God says concerning himself what he expects of us. He gives 10 commandments, and I'm just going to hang out in the first one or two. Exodus 20, verses 3 through 5, it says, You must have no other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind of an image or anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, hear this, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. There's one God, and he wants our affection And he doesn't want to compete with anybody in anyone's heart's affection. In fact, it was Martin Luther who said, if we don't get this right, then we can never fulfill any of the other commandments that God has given us. That's how important having no other gods but God and not allowing anything or anyone else to have the affection of our heart is. That if we do, we cannot fulfill the other commandments that God has given us. Now, we might not create images that we bow down and worship today, but there's plenty of modern idols that we can identify that captivate our hearts Attention and affection. Two questions who and what? The first, who? Who am I looking to for comfort? Who am I looking to for happiness? Who am I looking to for joy? Who am I looking to for peace? Who do I look to to find contentment in life? The answer to those questions reveal the condition of our heart. And who has our heart's attention and our affection? The second is what? What are the things we turn to for comfort? We live in a world where there is a lot of materialism that we can access and try to find some sort of comfort and contentment and joy in. And if you have a lot of stuff, you'll know that none of that stuff can fulfill your life like God can. And in fact, once you get the thing you're pursuing, what usually happens next? you shift to pursue the next thing you want. Because the very thing that you got, it was more maybe about the thrill of the chase than actually getting what you wanted. There's that idol of pride in our ego. The way this manifests itself as an idol today is in the success that we try to pursue in life. Maybe in our career. Maybe our primary focus in what we do has more to do with filling our piggy bank than really being successful in the career of choice. Oftentimes, our ego and our pride get in the way of our lives because what they do for us is consume us, and we begin to build ourselves into an idol Or an image that is to be impressive to those around us. Maybe this is too bold, but just take it softly. Nobody's that impressed with you. And sometimes, don't we think we're pretty impressive people? Like we're pretty important. Sometimes we create that image of ourselves and that itself is an idol. How about the idols in our life that are bringing pleasure to us? Or at least we, we, we try to find pleasure in. You know, there's easy ones we can identify like drugs and alcohol, right? Those are easy ones to identify. But then there are the ones that maybe we're uncomfortable talking about like food How about pornography? How many of you are using food or pornography as an idol in your life for some sort of self-satisfaction or gratification that is short-lived and then filled with guilt and shame after you're done worshiping that idol? How about unhealthy relationships? How many of you are so worried about being alone in life that you're willing to endure an unhealthy relationship? And so you've made an idol for yourself out of this relationship because you're afraid or you're worried that God might not be able to fulfill your real need. And so you cling to someone else to do what only God can do for you. I mean, how many of you use exercise as an idol? that you're more concerned about sculpting your body into an image than you are allowing Jesus to conform you into the image of God. How about family life? How many of you have put your spouse on the throne in your heart Where God belongs. See, that's what this is really all about. Who sits on the throne in your heart? Do you? It doesn't belong to you. Does your spouse? It doesn't belong to them either. How about your kids? How many of you have placed your kids on the throne of your heart and they are your idols? Your whole world. Revolves around your children. And the God who is the Lord of your life has taken a back seat to your children. And the husband or wife in your life has taken a back seat to your children. You see why I said we're going to get uncomfortable together today? Who sits on the throne in your heart? Does Jesus truly sit there? You know, we don't we don't mold images today and worship them or do we? Is this a molded image that we worship? It's molded. <laughs> I mean, let me tell you how this becomes an idol in my life. Maybe you can relate. So I go home at the end of the day and I'm tired. I'm I'm just spent, right? And 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 I just need a I just need to rest and, and 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 honestly I go home and I have a lot of kids and I have a wife and they deserve my attention, but like, I have nothing to give. And so I just need a moment, right? And and rather than getting on my knees and asking God to renew me and restore me and revive me, you know what I usually do? I say, leave me alone. I'm going to sit in the chair and I'm going to get on my phone and I'm just going to like mindlessly wander and scroll. You know, I'm going to read the news. I'm going to look at everything that is nothing I'm going to get on Marketplace and see if there's anything I don't need to buy. And then after a half hour, I'm so stinking wound up from mindlessly doing nothing that I'm in no better position or condition than I was before I sat down to find rest. But I don't get on my knees and ask God for the rest he promises. This can become an idol in our life. It can benefit our life greatly. All the interests and affections of our heart can as well, by the way, there's nothing wrong with these things. The question is, where do they fit? Who has the throne room in your heart? How do we know? three simple questions we can all ask that will really expose the reality of our life. Here they are. What's on your calendar? What are you busy doing? Number two, what's in your search engine? Number three, what does your bank statement tell you about your habits? If we looked at just those three areas of our life, I honestly believe it will help us identify the idols of our life. So what do we do about it? We confess our sin, because that's what idolatry is, and we turn to Jesus. That's what he wants us to do. Turning from idols to Jesus Christ. What this is, is turning the affection of our heart towards Jesus so that he can have the right place in our life as the Lord of our life. I want you to listen. Just take a moment, close your eyes and listen. As Paul writes in Colossians chapter three about the focal point of the new creation, the new person in Christ and where our mind should be. And our pursuit should be. Listen to these words. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. We could just stop there, right? But let's not. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, when Christ, when Christ, who is your life, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. If you continue reading, it it talks about putting to death the idols in our life. And and so here, I'm just going to mention a few of them. So put to death... The sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolatry. Worshiping the things of this world, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malice and behavior, slander, uh, malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other for you have stripped off your old self and your old nature and all of its wicked deeds, and you've put on a new nature to be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Whoa! That's powerful. A shift of affection in our heart needs to be made so that the transformation of our lives is based on a relationship with God and not on our own efforts alone. Hope you heard that. You can't do this on your own. See, hard work and habit change that comes to our lives through a disciplined life is a good thing. But it's not the end all. We need to look to Jesus to fulfill every need in our life. For if we don't, All we're doing is putting together a list of do's and don'ts and trying to find fulfillment in Christ. See, defeating idols in our life is not about fulfilling a checklist of do this and not that. That's not what it's about. It's a matter of shifting the affection of our heart towards the one true and living God who over time will change us. My affection for Gwen started with an interest in her. And it only grew when I fostered that relationship. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to grow in our relationship with him. Let me ask you this. Are you pursuing relationship with God Or are you pursuing the results of relationship with God will bring? You see, even religion can become an idol in our life. If I read my Bible, go to church, if I pray and I do good things to people, thinking that I will find favor in God and get something from Him, that has made religion an idol. Because the alternative is out of my love for God, my abundant love for God, which he loved me first and I recognize, my heart's affection towards him puts me in the word of God so that I can grow in my relationship with him. It gets me on my knees so I can communicate with him. It puts me in church so that I can be with God's people. Do you see the difference? See, the gospel, as it did in Ephesus, it does today. It confronts our sin And it forces us to do something about it. And as the gospel did in Ephesus, it does today. It gives us hope. Because the Bible says when we confess our sin to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we don't have to live a life of guilt and shame. We can live a life of freedom and joy and contentment when we walk with the Lord and in the Lord. Idolatry is a matter of a person's affection of the heart. And God wants your heart's affection. And if he doesn't have it, he's waiting for it. He is not a God who is, is going to pour out his judgment and wrath on you unless you don't come to him. But he's a God who is patient and loving and merciful and gracious, gracious, and he is wanting you to love him like he loves you. As Christians, we must recognize that nothing else can take place, number one place in our heart, but our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when it does, what we do about that is confess that sin, ask God for forgiveness, and turn our affection towards Christ And when we do that, we put him back on the throne where he rightfully belongs. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and for your love for us. Jesus, as we have recognized the need to confront sin and idols in our life, we also recognize that there's hope and forgiveness and freedom through you and your love for us. So God, help us today to take time to increase our affection towards you as we point our attention to you. We pray in Christ's name, amen.